people are now more connected to their values. Either somebody was an environmentalist in life or a humanitarian in life. They want their death and passing to be connected to the continuity of how they lived. I see that that is a shift. Um, another shift uh, as opposed to um, the sense of, oh, it's the end of life and I'm going to go meet my maker and I have to make sure that my soul is in order and all my sins are atoned and those kinds of things. Um, that seems that doesn't seem to be part of the process as much anymore, at least our, our clients. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Death Science Podcast, where we explore new perspectives on life, death, dying, and the dead. Please like, share, and subscribe to support. You can find the audio on all major podcast platforms, and you can find the video on YouTube at www.catacomb.tv. You can learn more about the show at deathscience.org. Welcome to episode number four. Today's guest is Dan Ziskin, the co-founder of thenaturalfuneral.com. We'll be talking about benefits of natural burial versus conventional burial. We'll also be exploring what water cremation is and so, so much more. But before we get started, I want to talk about catacombculture.com. This is where I sell my sculptures. My sculptures being functional home decor, I make it of hyper-realistic human bones that I make. From human bone lamps to food-safe skull bowls, I make a lot of memento mori friendly pieces that serve as reminders that our lifespans are limited. So let's make the best out of the time that we have left. You can explore my bone gallery at catacombculture.com. And I also want to talk about restinggrounds.org. This website will guide you in exploring alternative post-life care for your deceased body. That's right, your deceased body has the potential to literally save lives, advance multiple fields of science, and so much more. Learn more at restinggrounds.org. Now, let's meet Dan and explore new perspectives on life, death, dying, and the dead. So today we are here with Dan Ziskin, who is a co-founder of thenaturalfuneral.com, and he is a scientist. He manages data on carbon monoxide in the atmosphere. Welcome to the show, Dan. How's it going? Oh, good. Good morning. I'm glad to see you. Same, same. How's it go? How's uh? So where are you located? You're in Colorado. In Boulder, Colorado, which mm. is a city, small city near Denver. Nice. How's uh how's COVID nineteen doing out there? Is it kinda relaxing or is it just oh still terrorizing uh, everyone? In Colorado, uh we have some uh mountain towns that uh receive international tourists that come from uh for skiing. Mm. And those uh resort towns were hit devastatingly hard in the beginning. Uh but uh though since then it's actually been pretty moderate in Colorado. Um, and Boulder is uh, a strict, kind of a strict lockdown. So people are taking it really seriously, wearing masks and um, the, uh, the every night at eight o'clock, everyone in the, goes out in the street and howls at the moon like, uh, <laughs> uh, like wolves, uh, Boulder's response. Tell me a little bit more about the services you offer at thenaturalfuneral.com. Yeah, we um, we uh, serve families just like a regular mortuary, uh, but we uh, puts a little bit of different emphasis. 
for one thing, we don't embalm at all. That's uh, one of the distinctions. Another distinction we do is we source all of our materials locally and everything that uh, is biodegradable. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on uh, natural products and uh, with both uh, sustainability in mind and, and non-toxicity and also beauty. Um, and then another distinction about the natural funeral is that we, uh, uh, we really see ourselves as holistic. We want to, to serve the family in many different ways that they might need more than just the logistics of solving the problem of what to do with the body. And so uh, we are, our services extend through grief counseling, grief, grief counseling. And, um, uh, and I, uh, I also want to talk about, uh, we have a, what we call our, our signature service, which is what we call reverent body care. And that is when, uh, when somebody uh, passes, we invite the family to come and participate in the washing the body and anointing, anointing the body with oil and saying goodbye in a very physical way. And stories are told. There's a lot of remembrance of this person in the presence of the body. And, and then the family dresses the body themselves. So it's a very participatory experience. Um, and then, uh, and we can talk more about that uh, particular uh, service called Reverend Body Care. Another uh, thing that we offer is we we have three different uh, with the technical term final dispositions of what, things to do with uh, a body. One is uh, standard cremation, and the other is uh, green burial, which uh, we can talk about, and then a third is alkaline hydrolysis, which is a an old practice. It's been around for about 100 years, uh, but it's new to Colorado. Uh, it's, it's, it's been legal here for several years, and then now there's a, a provider of that service. And so we are uh, introducing that to our, our clients. Awesome. So what's the key differences between, say, water cremation versus flame cremation? Uh, yes, uh, there's a, that's a very... Uh, layered question um i'll start with some of the obvious uh ones is that in a flame cremation you're you're just burning the body to ash and cinder and it is chemically uh an oxidization you're applying heat and then combining the body with oxygen and getting uh inert ash and uh in water cremation chemically it's the exact opposite where um, it's a it's a reduction, not an oxida oxidation, and the body is dissolved in a very basic solution, al very alkaline, and in a kind of a warm bath, and the and what you get back are uh, two sort of byproducts. One is the bones, which are soft and moist. Um, and uh, and they're um, but they're intact and they have to be uh, pulverized before they're allowed to leave the the crematory by law. And then um, the 
and then also all of the um, sort of if an artificial hip or a pacemaker or a, or a fillings from teeth, teeth, they're all in, included in that in the solids. Um, there's also a liquid that comes out that is an extraordinary uh, fertilizer. It's a it's a you can spread it on a garden or a, a farm or a forest, and it's classified by a laboratory as being what's called a biostimulant. Um, so it's so flame cremation renders the body inert. Like the, the ashes are, it's like sand or gravel. It's not uh, conducive for for plant growth. Whereas uh, with water water cremation, the what comes out is actually the nutrients that can go back and be reabsorbed by nature. Oh, wow. So I hear all the time that people want to take their cremated remains and uh, plant seeds in them and grow trees. So you, so we're saying that uh, flame cremation actually sterilizes the ashes and they are not fertilize, fertilizer, I, per se? Correct. Mm. Uh, I, 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 there are ways of, of sort of mixing in soil amendments with them uh, to make them uh, make something able to grow from it. Um, but the the ashes themselves no nothing will happen oh wow so are there any farms or any places that uh would use the human fertilizer uh yes um uh, but uh i i not many mm. uh, and, and uh for example uh there's a uh place in in boulder county called willow farm for example and they are uh, end of life holistic center they're not a funeral home and um but they do a lot of uh of work with with families um before during and after passing and they have uh a grounds that are very natural and they're they're accepting uh this as so an example so walk me through what does it look like like what are these water cremation machines what do they look like you know they that there's a couple different uh, styles, uh, some some commercial vendors. The one we look we work with, uh, it looks like a uh, a very large like shipping box, you know, like a something that you might expect a, uh, a a refrigerator to to be shipped in, about kind of like back that size, made of wood, and then inside is a metal tank that holds. Uh, the the liquid in the body and it's on a machine so it, it tilts back and forth to add, to make sure that uh the the water is all circulated and the and that the there's a sort of uniform chemical process and it controls the temperature and the the chemicals that are added hmm. so what kind of chemicals are used primarily it, it's a very basic uh solution so it's uh i think it's a uh, potassium hydroxide or or uh, something like that. Mm, mm. Um, are there any environmental drawbacks or anything for water cremation? Uh, hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, uh, with the pollution, it's it, it's often a, an issue of uh, of dilution or or, or concentration, mm. um, and so you wouldn't want to just like be dumping lots and lots of this stuff anywhere. Oh, okay. But if it's spread out, is it is is not there's no biological risk it's sterile it's uh it's ph neutral you can kind of hold it in your hand 
Um, so it's a if it's if it's spread lightly, it actually in, enhances the environment. If it's concentrated, it, it's sort of like over fertilizing. Mm -hmm. uh, has has there been any? Uh... Well, when it comes to say flame cremation, uh, is there any pollution that you you're aware of? Uh, well, f with flame cremation, it's uh, it's it is kind of dirty. It's um, there's a lot of smoke, and there's it's like uses about a tank full of gas, um, and it's also all of that metal that I spoke about, like the artificial hips and the and the fillings in our teeth. All of that stuff is incinerated and also also enters uh, the air, mm. um, and I don't want to uh, disparage flame cremation because I think that it's a great uh, solution in for in some ways, um, and it, but in context uh, there is a alkaline hydrolysis I think is a cleaner solution. Um, there's less a lot less emissions uh, in general it uses. Uh, a fraction of the energy there's very low fuel costs right uh, but uh you know then so those are some of the comparisons mm. so where can someone get this uh water cremation you know it's it's legal in about i think about 12 states 11 or 12 states um you'd have to verify that mm. uh, and in colorado right now there's only one provider and uh and uh, he he works with us. Uh, what makes this not legal? You know, you know, there's. I think that there's. It's uh, sensitivity to mm. this. Uh, in there's this feeling that uh, what we do is, uh, you know, is treat the the liquid remains uh, as a, a precious byproduct that goes back to nature. Uh, and but I don't think that everyone else uh, necessarily has that same uh, sort of attention to that to the remains, and I think that there's people might feel like that's it's disrespectful um, to to the to the body, um, and there's so there's there's religious uh, um, some some uh, religious objections to mm. to it. Um, I, I would say that it's not it's not for me to 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 mm -hmm. to um, to comment on on why people have objections. They just do, mm -hmm. and it is a new process. And mm -hmm. people are uh, this are sensitive to new processes, <laughs> especially in this uh, in this particular uh, topic. True. Yeah. You know, I recall. Uh, I I'm. I'm too young for this, but I, I've heard that there was a lot of opposition to cremation when it was introduced, and it wasn't until the Vatican II where it was even accepted by uh, by the Catholic religion. Huh. Yeah, I wonder who decides uh, acceptable ways of uh, cremation and death rites and stuff. I guess what it's like a political thing. It's have to get them to get on. Well, we're, we're watching one of those. Uh, processes right in action right now hmm. where uh you know recompose and you maybe you interviewed uh them is uh to actually uh compost human bodies uh, and uh 
they they got it legalized in Washington State wow. and are nice. building the first facility there now. Uh, and I, uh, there, there was it was heard in Colorado. We want to we want to do it too. If they can do it, we want to do it. Yeah. And so laws were are proposed here to make it legal in Colorado and um, and so it's passed out of committee uh, 10 to 0 or some 10 to 1 or something like that a huge huge uh, uh, bipartisan support for for this and uh, so it will hopefully soon be legal in Colorado and then we'll build a facility to um, to actually do it uh, the um, there is the one thing that about sort of the state of Colorado is, um, you know, we're uh, in some ways we're still very connected to our frontier heritage, and um, our frontier heritage uh, says uh, there's a lot of respect and leeway given for religious freedom. If you want, if your religion tells you this is okay, then okay, let's do it. Um, you can you can do it it's not for everyone but the state is not going to get away of uh, of your religious practice and a lot of our laws especially around funeral stuff seems to be rooted in that kind of uh open-mindedness and um and then also uh there's a sense of um that the state should also the laws of the state should not get in the way of commerce and if a business wants to do it and offer it, let them let them do it and let the market decide whether it's a good idea or not, not the state legislature. And so I think that both of those uh, sort of sense of permissiveness um, are techniques to be introduced. And so I'm wishing for this uh, uh, composting as an option to be legal and available to consumers in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for you guys out there. That sounds really fascinating. So what what does human composting look like? Is that just, uh, just putting bodies in the ground, planting some seeds, and then just uh, like a farm? Or what can well, we that, expect? That's natural burial. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, compo- hum- human composting is where they actually have like a, a, a container and they put the body in with wood chips and enzymes and other materials and they stir it and aerate it and after say two months or, or you know the time uh, is I'm not uh, certain about sure. but it's a, in the order of several months then you get out uh, a, a compost material that's like a, a very rich soil oh wow yeah, I've I've seen all kinds of different stuff online as far as uh, yeah human composting, even like those uh, you you put the body in this like egg looking thing and then it, a tree grows out of it after you bury it. Yeah, human compost. Wow, yeah, it's it's fascinating and exciting to see such ideas really come to life like that. Yeah, especially in with the from an environmental perspective of how can we um, do things that that are not expensive both in terms of cost and also energy and and the pollution so that there's not a, like a an impact that way but also um, 
to in sort of take the 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 nutrients and the um, and put them back into the cycle of life. I think that those are those are things. Uh, and then also also one of the things that I've noticed um, is that I feel like in previous generations, people were very concerned that their souls were sort of right with God, and the and it was about religious propriety. And you know, of course, that some people still feel that way. What I found is that that's less of a concern to people right now. What is more of a concern is, am I right with nature? Am I right with, is, is my passing aligned with my values, the way I lived my whole life? Uh, is, is my final acts going to be a, a legacy of harm or, or helpfulness? And I feel like those are motivating people to um, pay more attention to the actual form of disposition uh, and less concerned with things like a monument or, or a, a place where the family can go visit. I mean, nowadays also people do not grow up and live in the same town and need to have the family plot. And the brothers and sisters are scattered all around the country and, and a particular uh, like meeting place or resting place is just not a priority. If anything, it could be an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, so real quick, what would that be considered? Because I, I get that a lot. Um, people see the image of being their body in a, an egg-shaped uh, biodegradable uh, container and a tree grows out of it. Is that natural mm -hmm. burial? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, that's a form of natural burial. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's not really uh, our thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 we do work with a cemetery that allows a tree to be planted over the grave, but um, those pods that you spoke spoke about is a particular commercial product, mm -hmm. and uh, we don't really. I'm not. I'm not going to disparage it. Uh, sure, sure. I think that if, if people uh, choose that, that's fine. Um, I feel like it's uh, uh, it, it's an unnecessary step. Like I said, the idea of we plant, we we bury a body in a shroud and plant a tree over it. Yes, that sounds beautiful. We work with a cemetery that uh, uh, offers that. As, as we're talking about green burial, what are the key differences between green burial and traditional burial? Yeah, there's a there's a couple. I'll start with uh, the the body itself is there's certainly no embalming, so um, the the toxins of embalming fluid are not included in the in the bio, in the burial. The then there's the container, which is strictly biodegradable, which is um, either wood or just a shroud or cardboard, uh, some as opposed to titanium or uh, some kind of uh, lacquered uh, surface. So it's something that uh, will decompose over time. And then this, the grave itself, the hole tends to be shallower because the deeper you go, the less biological activity of the soil. So there's fewer microbes, there's fewer insects, there's fewer stuff going on. So, uh, and, there, and it's drier the deep, if, if you go 
uh, say six feet down. Uh, whereas green burial tends to be about four feet. And so there's a lot more um, sort of microbial activity. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so there's, it's, there's a more of an, a channels open for re for uh, bringing the nutrients and back to, to the cycle. And then uh, there's also, there's no liner in the grave. There's no um, cement vault that's put down there. There's, um, there's one of the controversial issues is some, some cemeteries want to have kind of a, a cap that that's over the grave so that it, as the uh, body decomposes, there's no settling of the ground. That's whether that's green. That's a, a shade of green. Let's put it that way. It's uh, whether it's the maybe not the the deepest darkest green, but it's greenish. Um, and then the other uh, thing is at the surface, a green burial has a very uh, inobtrusive marker. So there's not a a, a big uh, stone that's visually uh, 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 sort of marking the grave and and also uh, again shades of green is how the grounds are maintained i mean we don't want i don't think that say like the manicured uh golf course kind of uh lawns are necessarily a green burial i feel like it's it should be i mean again i'll be extreme is that it's something that's uh that's a native grasses that are not uh irrigated, not watered, uh, and potentially not even mowed. Uh, that, again, that's, there's variations there. But, uh, those, are, those are some of the distinctions of between green burial and natural burial uh, and uh, conventional burial. Mm. So oh, and, wait, wait, one more, yeah, one yeah, more yeah. thing is that, again, going to sort of the, um, the extreme is I would like to see it as no fencing also so that it's uh, wildlife can pass or, uh, through freely, so that the, the fences aren't a, a barrier to wildlife. Hmm. Take us to your ideal green burial cemetery. What does that look like? Uh, you you wouldn't even recognize it as a cemetery. In, in my uh, uh, thank you for that question. That's, yeah, like, yeah. that's really beautiful. Um, so here would. What I I imagine is um, there is a gathering spot in, in, say, a town. So let's say Boulder, I don't know. There's a gathering spot. And people um, carpool up to to this cemetery because there's only one parking spot, (laughs) if at all. Um, People get out. They walk along a trail, and it's like a walk in the forest. And in this forest, there they might have, uh, it's not paved, um, they might have an app that tells them, here in this particular spot, uh, Roger's, uh, Roger was buried. And in that particular spot, uh, uh, Carl was buried. And they would have no idea because the graves are invisible, and they were dug by hand, and they were um, the ground around them was restored to make it so that you wouldn't even tell that, that a, a, somebody was buried there. 
and that's my vision and um that there was there'd be a legal structure um you know an easement that would say that this land is uh protected from um for any possible like, de development or encroachment it is only you can you can visit there and you can bury there and nothing else can happen on that on that land yeah, it sounds like a beautiful dream. Yeah, I'd love uh, if there was definitely more of those cemeteries similar to what you envision. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the uh, the viewing process of a green burial because you're not using embalming fluid. So, is there is it time sensitive or tell us a little bit about that? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, and this is this is not necessarily associated with green burial per se. Um, the what happens after this this sort of a natural death care we call it I'll call it natural death care. Mm -hmm. um, what happens after the body could be anything. You know, there could there could be a burial or a cremation or water cremation, um, or the body could leave the state. You know, we, uh, so, you know whatever the. Um, but but between death and uh, and that final disposition. There is a process that does not include embalming. It is somewhat time sensitive. Um, the we invite the family to to like you mentioned uh, participate in the washing and preparation of the body, and that over time there's changes. Um, so so there's change discoloration of the skin. Um, there's odors. There's a uh, things like that but if a body is kept cold uh at the time of death um it's not that fast you know, a few days is fine um what seems to matter more um is whether for example if an autopsy was performed or not uh and if this the condition of the person uh when they when they actually passed um so the, those things seem to matter more but but yes, there is some some time sensitivity. Uh, what we're we're also finding is that in the Buddhist tradition, uh, the body is not disturbed for three days, and so we've worked with families where the body dies. There's a uh, a vigil at home for just for three days. The body is kept cold with dry ice, and at the end of three days, then we do this reverent body care, and it works fine. There's um, what we want to do is inform the family that this is natural death care. They will not look the same as if they're alive. They uh, we're not doing anything artificial to to trick people into thinking that everything's fine. Um, like uh, there's no makeup usually. I mean, sometimes people will apply makeup themselves to um, to uh, to as a way of beautifying uh, their their memory. But we don't don't do that, and we feel like again this. I'm not a psycho psychologist, uh, but I am seeing that part of the healing process is arriving at acceptance of the pa person's passage, and the embalming and the dressing up and the makeup of the corpse, and then showing people see look how beautiful beautiful and peaceful they are. It's like as if they're sleeping. But that doesn't get us there. That doesn't get us to acceptance. Whereas, uh, if we are handling the 
the body itself and we're combing grandmom's hair one last time mm -hmm. and we are feeling how cold her fingers are and that is part of the process that uh allows us to um to really um sort of it really changes our uh, perspective because we know for sure that they're gone and that what we what's left behind wasn't them mm. yeah that sounds like a beautiful process it, it, it tends to be and it's very uh it's very emotional and people are transformed in it so it seems after the revenant the Reverend. revenant body care is it the biodegradable casket that's next on the list you know that sometimes hmm. uh it's a really like i mentioned uh what happens next is is really up for grabs um so it could be the biodegradable casket to hmm. be buried or just a shroud no casket or it could be just they're transported wrapped in a sheet to uh to the next step which might be water cremation or flame cremation or other that they're that's actually disconnected uh from they, that um anything can happen afterwards mm. so what are some common uh, biodegradable barrel containers that you guys work with uh, sometimes it's just a shroud and uh the shroud it's can be as simple as a sheet that we that we bought from a thrift store or it could be a, a, a intricate uh, fabric that is has handles sewn in, and some of them have little pockets so you can slide a board uh, underneath. And then that's important if they're being lowered into a grave. Uh, sometimes they are um, uh, put in a cardboard casket. Uh, the, the, with, we like the cardboard caskets. Um, one, they're affordable and uh, they are, uh, it's a very low embodied energy. But also, what we like to do is distribute the casket to the family ahead of time and invite their, them to decorate it. And so the children are drawing pictures and they are uh, uh, putting some of their favorite uh, trinkets like gluing some of those on and making it like decorating it to be extremely personalized uh, and and um non-threatening uh, so we've uh, we we like uh, serving families that way um, and and then also uh i want to mention we have a in colorado uh we've had a real uh some ways natural disaster uh of uh these Colorado pine beetle uh, killing a lot of the pine trees in the mountains. And so we have lots of stands of dead pine trees up in the Rocky Mountains from this Colorado pine beetle. And so instead of it being a waste product, we have a local carpenter that takes these uh, dead pine trees and builds uh, caskets out of these, uh, what's called beetle kill pine. And uh, these are also available to our clients uh, from, from local source uh, of of uh, sustainable wood, or or at least not um, forests. Forests aren't being cut cut down to make these. Uh, uh, it's it's already uh, dead trees. So this local carpenter makes uh, handmade caskets uh, for us in, in Longmont. It's called Nature's Casket. This is company.
Hmm. Differences between uh, traditional burial, green burial. Uh, back to the embalming. What, what, what's so bad about embalming a body? Uh, you, you know, I just uh, don't feel like I have uh, a lot of qualifications to speak uh, about it. Uh, I've never done embalming. I've never seen it done. Uh, and, uh, and I just, uh, if, if anything, the only, the only thing I would, I would say that I do know is that the chemicals used in embalming are, um, toxic to the embalmer, uh, him or herself. And they're not something I would, I think would advise to, to put in the ground. Hmm. Uh, What's the difference between a green burial and say Jewish burial? Uh, great question. Um, one is the timing. A Jewish burial is uh, mandated to occur the very next day. And uh, the, um, the emphasis is on a, a simple, what is common is that, that it's a simple uh, container, the, the, either like a plain pine box or a shroud. And some of that has to do with the sense of uh, we're all created in the image of God. So we're all uh, uh, sacred vessels but our status in life is irrelevant. The creator will take us back uh, regardless of who we are. And uh, all of the haughtiness and uh, hubris of our uh, station in life is, evaporates upon death. And uh, that's, that's represented in the, the green burial of, of a, or a Jewish uh, cemetery, uh, burial. Um, the, the Jewish religion, again, depends on how strictly it's followed. Uh, there's certain garments, ritual garments, that that the body is uh, is done uh, is is uh, is dressed in. That's agnostic in in uh, natural death care. Um, the the other thing I, I want to uh, talk about is, and again, this is there's some things about what I'm going to say that I'm an expert at, and other sure. things that I'm just uh, sort of more projecting. Uh, sort of fake expertise in <laughs> is, that, um, is that in in what I know about Jewish ritual, I think that there's a lot of care and respect for the body itself, which is for and for the benefit of the body itself, not to to maintain the dignity of the corpse and the and in memory honor and reverence of the life that was lived wearing that corpse. Um, and it's done uh, traditionally by a committee of people that are intentionally kept anonymous. The family doesn't know who is perform these um, the ritual of the washing and uh, dressing and preparing. Um, and and that's in a sense to to honor the sense that this is uh, an act of love and kindness purely for the sake of heaven. That the people that are choosing to uh, show up for their community in this way are not expecting any thanks or reward, um, because um, that that it's a an, an purely um, a act of loving kindness uh, for its own sake. Whereas in in traditional burial or uh, in natural funeral care, let's put it that way. Uh, Actually, the family is invited 
and if the family participates uh, uh, so that they're really their inclusion in the process is part of their healing and so the focus shifts from solely on the on the um, respect and love of the body uh, in Jewish tradition to um, it's a whole family uh, 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 kind of like uh, activity and so the, the shift goes from the from the the body itself to the more of the holistic context. Um, and so, so that's one of the distinctions. Um, uh, also, you know, that, that in, in Jewish death care, there is there are very prescribed uh, rituals, what such as uh, oh, a, a washing with of the body with a very large amount of uh, water. And, and the water has to be a certain type of uh, and Whereas there's not so much uh, um, prescription of this is these are the things that happen have to happen in natural death care. Um, it's much more spontaneous without the prescribed rituals. And um, I'm not making a judgment there because uh, I know that in times of of loss, sometimes it's ritual that's the only thing that that can get people through. Um, I'm just making the the contrast. So you mentioned you work with uh, Buddhists. Uh... Jewish. Are there any other uh, religions that you're experienced with as far as death rites go? Um, me personally, I, I would say no. Um, I know we've served other communities, and uh, I think that sensitivity to different religions um, are is is really one of our uh, priorities. Um, we'd like to think that we are a very thin layer uh, that that actually can coexist with almost any other spiritual tradition. One of the things, uh, and, and this is this is a form of journalism, so and you thrive on controversy, so I'll bring sure, up yeah. something, some kind of uh, friction around. It, is that an example is somebody came came to talk to to us about uh, her mom passing soon. And wanted to hear about what we had to offer and she loved what we were doing she just saw it as like this is exactly uh how things should be in her uh uh vision she also said that she has a brother in texas that is very uh religious and con conservative uh from a religious point of view and this might not be his thing this might might be the kind of thing that uh, would uh, alienate him at a time where it should be about family unity. Um, I I totally understand that and uh, and feel like it's our job at that point to to get out of the way. Um, if if we uh, if we can help. You know, it's it's not for us to say are we uh, offensive to anybody or not. It's that's in in the in the view of the person that's uh, that's coming with their particular beliefs. Um, so I I'd like to think that we can we can coexist with almost any particular tradition, and I would also mention that there's some intentionality in the way we dis, uh, decorated our uh, our space in that we are strictly uh, images of nature 
and uh, we have no iconography and no um, suggestions of any particular uh, religious uh, persuasion at all. Um, and so uh, what I, uh, uh, and so we, we really do want to show up as a blank canvas for, for the family that whatever they want to um, bring with them that's important to them. Hmm. How has COVID-19 affected the uh, natural death care industry? I, you know that that's uh, um, in in some ways it's it's had a huge impact, and in other ways, uh, kind of rel at this point relatively little. Um, for for one thing, um, you know our our approach is very intimate with the family. Uh, we love meeting with them ahead of time, talking to them in person, and. Uh, and that that has that tool has sort of in some ways been stripped away from us, and so now we're trying to tell them, talk to families about how personal <laughs> we are, and we're doing it through this electronic media. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, we're compromised. Our our approach is compromised. Our business model is compromised, and so we're in a, we have seen. And so now this is sort of the industry. Uh, part of it or the funeral industry part of it is that we found that we're having just as many clients as ever but our level of service tends to be reduced because they're not choosing some of these personal touches uh, that that we feel that we specialize in um, the bodies themselves of somebody that dies uh, from COVID-19 um, you know dead bodies are, do not sneeze they do not uh, are are not leaving their tissues uh, around. Uh, they are not exhaling uh, aerosols. Uh, so the 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 body, according to the CDC, even with the if they died of of COVID nineteen, is not particularly infectious, and that the standard uh, levels of care that uh, around bodies. Um, is is perfectly adequate this is according to the cdc there's lots of of course hand washing and things like that however um the family of the person that died uh should be considered uh potentially infectious and it's we are very concerned about providing death care uh to families that that might have uh that might particularly uh that we are vulnerable to being infected from. Here we are, um, just, uh, even just yesterday, we did reverent body care on a person. The family came, uh, we kept our distance, we wore, all wore masks, the family all wore masks. Um, the deceased did not. <laughs> he was uh, in his, uh, in his uh, beauty, uh, again, going to compromise and constraints is here we are saying goodbye, um, a mother saying goodbye to her son and she's wearing a mask uh, is um, just one of the realities that we have to accept uh, in, the, in this world. And um, I wanna go back to this idea of creating art um, in that when we create art, if we always are uh, 
able to do whatever we want. We're sitting at the typewriter with a blank piece of paper and there's no constraint at all. Um, that ten tends to, to not really bring out the best. It tends to, uh, you know, just create, uh, so, like, it doesn't create the, the beauty that we want. Whereas when there's constraint, uh, that we get more exquisite art. Um, and so there might be a blessing here that we don't recognize yet, uh, in that there might be more, more expression of, um, of love and tribute uh, this way when we're uh, not, a, not as free to, uh, uh, to, to see each other in full face. As for the cemeteries themselves, are there any land requirements needed for a natural burial cemetery? Again, I only know about Colorado, and uh, the answer is no. Um, there's there's like land use zoning and things like that, uh, and so uh, there there has to be certain distance from from water sources. There has to be. Uh, uh, some kinds of uh, legal uh, legal uh, uh, permissions from the neighbors and those kinds of things. Um, so, but I don't think that there's a lot of real constraints um, once you get beyond the zoning and the pro it's the appropriate land. Um, uh, but I, I do want to talk about a particular uh, case that we're dealing with right now. Uh, a man wants to be buried in on his in his backyard in suburban Boulder and we are working with the city and the county to uh, uh, to have his final wish per, uh, fulfilled and uh, the wheel's still spinning <laughs> um, whether we'll actually accomplish that but uh, uh, that's uh, that's what what people want sometimes mm. and that's a going back to the sense of Colorado being a frontier state is uh, there's a, a lot of room for personal freedom. What what are some loopholes? I mean, well, I guess not loopholes, but what are some obstacles that governments put out there for the citizens to prevent them from being buried in the backyard? Yeah, there's a couple considerations. One is law enforcement. You know, they you don't want to have a situation where a body is buried in the in the backyard, and it's discovered later by somebody else, uh, and then suddenly it's uh, now it's a homicide investigation. Uh, where so so one of the rules is that at the time of interment, uh, the sheriff or the coroner is there to witness it, and it's documented, and it's often added to the deed of the property that there is a body buried here. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, that's one of the considerations. Another is sanitation. You don't want the body uh, close to a source of water. And that. Um, and there's also, um, I, would, I would say, a sort of an integrity of the grave. You don't want it in a place that's likely to be accidentally dug up, uh, either by people or animals. Uh, you don't want uh, the, the prairie dogs uh, or a fox or somebody to 
um, be deep enough. So that's that's a, a question of depth and uh, and usage of the land. Uh, so those are some of considerations. Mm. Uh, do you have any advice for individuals in finding and discovering a natural cemetery near them? Uh, yes, uh, there is. There are national uh, catalogs of those uh, places, um, and I I don't uh, have a, a website right off the top of my head, but maybe I can email it to you and sure uh, later. Um, uh, but yeah, there it's it's not there aren't that many uh, natural burial places. It's different cemeteries have different rules, and uh, and there's also like I'm, I was talking about before shades of green, where if you wanted. I want uh, a truly conservation burial type of situation. There's maybe ten of those in the whole country uh, that that are uh, pristine and uh, and and pure and the, the darkest shade of green. And then there's lots of uh, places that are in between, and there's other places that have maybe a green section of their of their cemetery, a natural cemetery. So, so it's. Uh, I would I would say uh, it's not it's not our uh, hidden information. It's it's pretty easily accessible. I notice on your website you have a in events section. What kind of events do you guys have in Colorado? One of the things that we uh, sort of specialize in is this holistic view, and so a lot of uh, hospices have grief support networks. So we support these. Uh, grief support networks by hosting them at our, our facility. And so people gather, um, or they used to gather, uh, and just talk about their loss and uh, their uh, struggles they're having and their good days and bad days. Um, and then th that's the traditional talk therapy. We also have uh, artistic approaches. So uh, healing through sound and vocalization or healing through art and uh, and poetry and writing. We also have um, storytelling. Uh, we also have uh, authors have given presentations about their work and their uh, musing, philosophical musings about death and dying. Uh, we've had uh, a group called F uh, Functional Aging that did uh, like gentle movement for seniors in, in our space. We have um, uh, we had a group of uh, sort of atheists meet there as a as sort of a Sunday morning uh, anti-church in a way. Um, we just uh, opened our doors uh, to to that group, uh, you know, without again without any particular attachment to their message, but we wanted to provide a space. Um, we've had. Uh, um, potlucks. Uh, I, I belong to a, uh, a sort of a called Time Bank uh, Boulder, which is a, a skill sharing organization where um, people do different services for each other and exchange hours. And so I wanted to turn that community onto the natural funeral. And so I invited them over for a potluck and we had a sort of show and tell and uh, those kinds of things. Uh, we also have had seminars about uh, uh, preparing for end of life. So we have a, 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 a wonderful teacher, uh, Sue Mackey, of, who has out of the box like funeral planning. 
and she runs her seminars out of our space and uh, we've had um, we've had massage therapy and acupuncture in our hosted that so again a focus on the holistic uh, aspects uh, we one one event we had uh, recently was uh, this Boulder County has a thing called bike to work week uh, bike, bike to work day and it's in June and thousands of participants uh, record their bike uh, commuting and stop in for breakfast or a bike to work day and we hosted a breakfast station in uh, at the natural funeral um, it was a, a day of frigid temperatures so uh, nobody actually <laughs> bite. Uh, uh, there was one one person. I made a, a ton of coffee and bagels, and uh, only one person showed up. Uh, so it's a, a lot of effort for for <laughs> one bike commuter. But in your experiences, um, wh what are some observations you have on society's perspective on death and natural burial? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, what I've seen uh, is that. Um, people are now more connected to their values of like either somebody was an environmentalist in life or a humanitarian in life and they want their death and passing to be connected to the continuity of how they lived and that is a um, I see that that is a shift um, another shift uh, as opposed to um, the sense of, oh, it's the end of life and I'm going to go meet my maker and I have to make sure that my soul is in order and all my sins are atoned and those kinds of things. Um, that seems that doesn't seem to be part of the process as much anymore, at least in in the um, our, our clients. Um, the, the other thing I'm seeing is that the imagery around death uh, is really changing. I feel like in the past there was um, the sense of the um, black velvet curtains and the raven and the um, the um, uh, like the Victorian sense of everything is stately and uh, and and black in as a theme. Um, We've, we intentionally avoid that color scheme and we intentionally infuse our services with images of nature instead. Uh, and we feel like that that, that is a cliche that m may work for some people, but is no, I think that our, our conception of death has, has really changed and that's not really um, as therapeutic as it, as it may once have been. So, so I'm seeing also change, so changes in the symbology and the um, and the imagery around death. Uh, another, I would say, is the um, I was just hearing a radio show about uh, about uh, death and hospice. In that, what has changed over um, with m the miracles of medical science these days is that in the old days. People would go to the doctor, they would get a fatal diagnosis, and then they're gone very quickly after that after the fatal diagnosis. Nowadays, people 
that's that time is really telescoped and the amount of time between a fatal diagnosis and the actual death can be years and people have time to plan and uh and create a an exit that makes sense to them and uh and is meaningful to both them and their family and they're the they're gone what a shock that experience is becoming more and more rare um it's more like uh you know you get that you get the email saying let's get together because i've got something really bad to tell you <laughs> something serious to tell you and let's uh let's approach this thoughtfully um so so one of the blessings of that extended time is that people have time to separate the emotions from uh grief and sadness and fear and deal with each of those kind of individually and separately and without unhealthy reaction to them um and and that's uh there's often a lot of grace and beauty in that extended amount of time. Um, so, so those are some of the things I'm noticing. Mm. Uh, and th that might be particular with our particular clientele, people that seek us out, but it's just my observation. So Dan, tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, I have been an ardent environmentalist my whole life, and uh, I I noticed along the way, uh, and I I was trained as a scientist and had a long career as a atmospheric science uh, data manager, information technology, um, and I felt like those two uh, uh, things aspects of my life were complementary. That I could be a a scientist in the day and a activist in the evening and uh but um and i noticed that when i was taking stock of my life I'm, I'm 56 years old and had some uh awakenings along the way and i noticed that there were two main themes in my life one is uh i loved the earth and wanted to have my life uh consistent with the healing of the earth and I also loved being helpful to people. For me, it was like a home run if somebody says to me, you know, thank you, that was exactly the help I needed. You know, that, and like that, those were, that was where my source of joy were, was, you know, riding my bike instead of driving a car and, uh, and uh, showing up help in a helpful way to, to people. And, um, I had a friend uh, named uh, Karen uh, Van Vuren, who I was very uh, uh, familiar with death, death practices. She had a nonprofit called Natural Transitions, which was a nonprofit that advocated for home funerals and do it yourself, and you don't need a, a funeral home. And uh, and she formed a natural uh, a home funeral national alliance, um, and. I, she and I had been friends for over 10 years and I was friends with her husband and uh, we we were having coffee and talking about uh, green burial websites and things like that and I wanted uh, and I had this app I developed an app that was about recipes 
and you could um, put in the recipe into this app and share it with other people. And you could do things like, well, I want to substitute uh, uh, sugar for stevia, or I wanted to make this uh, gluten-free, or anyway, it's a, it was a techie thing. I went to uh, my friend's mom's memorial service, and at the memorial service, there on her on the altar at this this uh, funeral was a cookbook, and I got this idea. I am going to take people's cookbooks of people that have died, put them in the app, and then share it with the family, and so they can, the family can make Aunt Gertrude's lasagna and uh, and Grandma's uh, cook Christmas cookies and whatever, and so I went to Karen. Uh, and we, uh, I, I told her about the app and I wanted her to sell it to her clients. And she's like, nah, <laughs> thanks. But, but what Boulder really needs is uh, a, an eco-funeral home. And what really occurred to me was like, yes, of course, saving the earth, serving the earth and helping people. I can do those both in transforming the funeral industry at the same time. And um, so I said, you know, okay, well, let's do it. And that was her light bulb of like, oh my gosh, yes, why not? We can do, why, why, why am I sitting here waiting for somebody else to do it? Let's do it. Um, so we uh, formed the natural funeral. Uh, this was the summer of 2015 that we kind of uh, started working on it. And we've had an extraordinary team of helpers along the way. Uh, and uh, so that that's the, the long version of how I got here. <laughs> I had no idea that this was in my future uh, before having coffee with Karen on the, in the summer of 2015. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the scientist aspect of yourself. You study, what, the carbon monoxide in the atmosphere? Yes, um, I say that in some ways that's irrelevant. <laughs> what is uh, is the balance of um, of what, how I spend my days? Let me just tell you about that yesterday. Um, yesterday in the morning, I was having a meeting with my uh, coworkers about what we call contingency planning. Like if there's a if the computer breaks, are we able to maintain the continuity of the data processing and so it was about um, chain of command and appropriate responses and what's a minor dis disruption versus a major disruption and how do which computers are worth saving and which was computers are uh, or we can we can fix that manana and uh, it was technical and uh, it was the priority was how are we going to let's have a plan so that we can keep a cool head in the in a time of emergency right so it was a damp a dampening of emotional response okay finished with that meeting go to the natural funeral and there i am with uh, a family that i just lost uh 
their son at a very young age from a tragic medical uh, mishap. And it was about showing up respectfully for the tempest of emotion um, and managing like that it wasn't about keeping things calm. It was keeping things constructive in uh, and making things beautiful and being a container for their healing. And um, you can see the, the point I'm trying to make is the contrast between the emotional ve- uh, lack of emotionality in my uh, science work and the intense and appropriate emotionality of my uh, funeral work. And, uh, you know, just between you and me and your listening audience, you know, I love that full spectrum of mm. uh, participation in life, the controlled to the uncontrolled. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it gives me a lot of joy in how my days are uh, constructed that I get, I get both ends of the spectrum. Mm. So as we wrap up the conversation, uh, is there anything else you want to mention, maybe where people can find you online and learn more? Uh, well, sure. Um, thenaturalfuneral.com um, and, uh, is, is where, we can, where you can find us. And uh, I'm very happy to uh, respond by email. Uh, you can just send us info at thenaturalfuneral.com. Um, and we are, uh, we feel as if we've started the, the baby steps of transforming the industry and um, nothing wrong with what came before, but I don't think that it's completely serving uh, people's needs anymore. Mm. Not everybody's needs anymore. Yeah. Well, Dan, thank you so, so much for uh, joining the conversation. And yeah, especially thank you for all the all the work that you do to save the environment, help the environment, even uh, advance the natural death care industry, helping families cope and return, allowing the deceased to return to the earth in a natural way. For all that, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's a joy for me to be of service. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about the human composting going down in Colorado when that yeah. starts. Yes, but it's it's um, it's happening in Washington State first, and mm. I suggest maybe you contact them as your next guest. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. Goodbye for now. Thank you for watching Death Science Podcast. For updates and new episodes, subscribe right now. It's quick at deathscience.org. And remember that we almost die one day, so talk to your loved ones now about your post-life plans for your body. Learn more about creative and beneficial post-life plans at restinggrounds.org. I'm your host, Jeremy, signing off on another episode. Thank you and memento mori.